And just as I'm starting here, would you pray for me? I, I, I just really mean that. I, I could really use the Lord's help. And so, God, I just open up my heart to you even. And I just ask that you would give us ears to hear that it would not be normal in the sense of we just sit and we're punching our time clock at church and then we're going home and we did our duty. But, God, you would really speak to us. You would grip us. Whatever it takes, talk to us what you have spoken to me, and just whatever you want to do, Lord, for your glory. Amen. So tonight, we're going to talk about the battle for God's presence. The battle for God's presence. And Pastor Lee's been talking a lot about the presence of God. We have the presence of God conference coming up. But I actually was not looking for a message that had anything to do with the presence of God. I was going to talk about our adoption and how we're adopted by God and how wonderful it is. But then I felt like the Lord led me to the book of Ezra. Once again, I've named my son Ezra for a reason. God spoke to me to the book of Ezra years ago. And he oftentimes brings my heart back to it. It's just, there's something about it that is just, just a special meeting place between me and God. God. All the word of God is wonderful and inspired, but it's just this special book. And, and as I was looking through it, I began to see that there was a battle for the presence of God in Ezra's day. That is what the fight came down to. And to keep your attention and to keep your mind fresh, I want to give you a test. And as I'm reading several scriptures, I want you to keep in mind these two things. Who is speaking? Who is speaking? And then actually count the voices. Count the number of voices. Who is speaking and what are the number of voices as we see these people talk? This whole book, it moves. It's like a, it's not a play, it's real, it's history and it's truth and it's wonderful. But like a play is moved and, and actions and, and it's, it's just the whole story's moved along. So the book of Ezra, every time someone speaks, it moves forward the book. So let's go into it. The book of Ezra, it's after Second Chronicles, it's before Nehemiah. It's before Esther, Job, and Psalms. If you, if you need to look in the front of your Bible, I know it's not one we go to often. But in the book of Ezra, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, and I'm just going to read this here. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord... The God of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. And he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with him. And let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord. The God of Israel, he is the God who is in Jerusalem. And let each survivor where he sojourns go. Free will offerings for the house. So we see here that God was moving to establish what? The temple. The temple there in Jerusalem that had been destroyed. In Ezra 3, verse 1, it says, When the seventh month came and the children of Israel were in the towns, the people gathered as one man to Jerusalem. They all got together. They all came together with one purpose, one heart. Then arose Jeshua the son of Jozadak with his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel with his kinsmen, and they built the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it. As it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. They set the altar in its place. For fear was on them because of the people of the lands. And they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord. Burnt offerings morning and evening. And they kept the feast of booths as it is written. And offered daily burnt offerings by number according to the rule as each day required. 
And after the regular burnt offerings, the offerings at the new moon and the appointed feasts of the Lord and the offerings of everyone who made a freewill offering to the Lord. Can you see there's a lot of offerings, a lot of offerings going on every single type. The fear of God was upon them. They had returned to the land. They were excited to be back and they were giving God everything that he had said that he wanted. Right. As the law of Moses, the man of God said, if, if God said it, they wanted to give it to the Lord. From the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord. But the foundation of the temple of the Lord was not yet laid. Everything wasn't perfectly put, religiously speaking. The, the, the altar and everything was made. Everything wasn't perfect, but they still found it. The diligence in their heart and the love for God, Yahweh, to go and to worship him, even whenever it was inconvenient. Even when it was inconvenient. It says in verse 10 later, the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord. The priests and their vestments, their clothing, they came forward with what? Trumpets. The Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord. They had musical instruments. They were having a worship service. According to the directions of David, the king of Israel. And they sang responsively. They were singing back and forth to one another. You know, I think of that song, Better's One Day in Your Courts. Better's One Day in Your House than, than all the others elsewhere. You know that? We sang in the early 2000s a lot. And the men would sing and the women would respond and back and forth. And it's beautiful as we sing our parts. And, and that's what they're doing. They're lifting up their thanks to God. And what do they say? He is good. His steadfast love endures forever towards Israel. He had brought them from slavery, from destruction, from death. But his love was steadfast. The word he gave Jeremiah, he brought them back and they honored him and they worshiped him for it. It was wonderful. Is anybody still counting the number of voices and the people speaking? Ah. Now listen, when the ad, count now, when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the returned exiles were building a temple to the Lord, the God of Israel, they approached Zerubbabel and the heads of their father's houses and said to them, Let us build with you, for we worship your God as you do. And we've been sacrificing to him ever since the days of Esarhaddon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. But Zerubbabel, Jeshua, and the rest of the heads of the father's houses and Israel said to them, You have nothing to do with us in building a house to our God, but we alone will build to the Lord, the God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. And one last here, and the reason why I wanted y'all to count was, I'm reading so much scripture. The prophets of Haggai, Zechariah, the son of Iddo, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Jozadak, arose and began to rebuild the house of God that is in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them. Supporting them. Sometimes when we're doing, even though we know what is the will of God, we need people around us to encourage us because we face issues. We need help. At the same time, Tatsunai, the governor of the province beyond the river, and Shatharbazaniah, <laughs> and their associates came to them and spoke to them thus, who gave you a decree to build this house and to finish this structure? They also asked them this, what are the names of the men who are building this building? But the eye of their God was on the elders of the Jews, and they did not stop them until the report should reach Darius, the king, and an answer be returned by letter concerning it. Seven total people speaking, but only two voices. People were speaking on the earth, but there were two voices. The voice of God and the voice of Satan. 
Those are the only two voices we really see in this world. You might hear the voice of man and from our own flesh and imaginations. But what we see here is God says, restore the temple in Jerusalem. The place of my presence. The place of my altar. The place of worship. The place where I am and I am glorified. And from where my presence should go out and touch all the lands. And the voice of Satan says, stop building. Don't allow it to happen. Don't you dare. Who are you? What's the name of your leaders? intimidation coming in they spoke through men but only those two voices two voices satan spoke in opposition to god and he tried to deny the very people of god not just some ordinary people a chosen people his covenant old covenant people that he had promised his presence and that moses said i don't want to go anywhere without it it was rightfully theirs because he had promised it and satan says i defy you To even try to enter the presence of God. I resist you again and again and again. Every time they try to go to the presence of God. There is a battle for God's presence. Because at stake was the worship of God. The worship of God. His presence had already been lost in Israel. If you, if, I love this time. I don't know what it is about this part of scripture from, you know, the, the kings and chronicles and at the end of second kings and it moves in to where they're thrown out. They're taken to Babylon and you've got Esther, you've got Nehemiah, you've got Ezra, these people that stand for God when it's not convenient to do so. But they had been kicked out because of the idolatry of Solomon many years before. It says that he loved many foreign women. And he worshipped their gods. And they led his heart astray. Though God had said, I will chastise him. And I will keep him. And he will be as a son to me. And I will be as a father to Solomon. He had also said that if they turned from him, Israel, that his judgment would come. He said to them in the mountain, on the blessings and the curses. These are all the blessings if you will walk with me and follow me. And the rich lands and all the fruitfulness of the womb and of the land and everything. But these are the curses if you reject me. If you multiply horses to yourself. If you do everything that I told you not to do. And, and they were said, choose this day who will you serve. Choose what you're going to do. And they chose That covenant. They agreed. They walked into it. And so they rebelled against God. And the punishment of God was coming upon them. Because they did not walk in his ways. And in 2 Kings. What really tipped the scales of God as it were. 2 Kings chapter 21. Was a man named Manasseh. Manasseh was terrible. He was awful and he was wicked. He was so wicked that God said. You are more vile. More wicked, more disgusting and sinful than all the people that I kicked out of Canaan before Israel. And do you remember what God said to Moses about the people of Canaan? He said that the land vomited them up. So much of the, of the book of Leviticus that just seems so out of place in today's culture and time, maybe at first glance, it's not. But so much of that had to do with don't be like the people of the land that I sent you to. Don't worship gods like them. Don't enter into immorality like them. I'm casting them out. I'm giving you their land because they are wicked. They are evil. I have been merciful to them, but they are going to be destroyed. And so God sent Israel in there to destroy and cleanse the land of the perversion and wickedness. It was a very big deal. But here it is, a king of Judah is more wicked and more evil than the people who the land vomited up. 
And God poured out his judgment on. That's a very big thing. It says, and he did that what was evil in the sight of the Lord according to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. He rebuilt the high places that Hezekiah, his father, had destroyed. Those were places where they went up to worship false gods or or even to try to worship Yahweh. But God had said, don't worship me up there. Worship me in my temple. This is the way I want you to do it. He knew they would be drawn to idolatry if they went into those hills. So he, he built up altars for Baal. He made an Asherah. These are all names of different gods. As Ahab, king of Israel, had done and worshipped all the host of heaven and served them. All the stars. He looked at them and instead of saying, wow, God, look at, the, look at your handiwork. Look at the sun. Look at how beautiful it is. The psalm says it's like a, it's like a, uh, it's, it's like a groom running out of his bedchamber. He's just excited and full of life and everything. But instead of honoring the God who made it. He honored the thing that was made and called it a God. He built altars for all the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. He didn't just worship gods out there. The very place where God said, I will make my name and presence dwell. He polluted and perverted with idol worship. And he burned his son as an offering and used fortune telling and omens. And dealt with mediums and with necromancers. He talked to spirits that were not the Holy Spirit. He sought information outside of God. And he tried to talk to the dead. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. We need to not be deceived. God has not mocked witchcraft is alive today. In our culture, it comes in magic potions. They call it now intentional soaps, intentional candles, intentional oils, intentional perfumes. They're made to, and I'm just coming to learn this, they're made to ward off negative energy, release spiritual gifts, provide protection. That is witchcraft, and if you have it, you need to dump it. You need to dump it. What it is, is people are seeking certain things, And they actually purchased the soap, the oil, the candle, because in it, they believe that in it, it's not just like you have a nice hot bath and you pour the Epsom salts and you light a candle and smell it. Come on, that's cool. That's all right. Bubbles, all that stuff. That's okay. Things God's given us, lavender and all of these beautiful things and essential oils if you don't go crazy, right? Because there's nothing intentional about those as far as I understand, right? Some people trust in those a little bit too much maybe when they should trust in the Lord. But but there's nothing wrong with these things. But it's when it, it crosses over and it's the substance I'm believing To bestow something to me. To protect me from something else. Or to give me something. We're not talking about eating a cliff bar for energy. We're talking about something spiritual. Something emotional that I'm going to get. And I believe that. And I'm putting my hope in this thing. That is idolatry. And it's witchcraft. It's just under a different name. It's just really cool. It's just really shiny. It's just very much on Instagram and the influencers. I'm going to, you know, do this and, oh, bad energy, you know. It's, it's get, get away the bad energy kind of a candle. Secret charms or symbols to protect. Crystals for healing and to keep spirits away. Tarot cards, horoscopes. Guys, this is what God judged the people of Canaan for. This is what he judged his own covenant people for. We need to not be mocked. 
Disney will make it look very glamorous. They will put it, and if you notice some of the things they'll put in a candle, power in it, all these things. But what they are introducing, whether they know it or not, is the spirit of this world seeking to deceive. Why would I ever want those things when there's actually a living God who listens to me? A living God who responds to me. God told me when I was going to quit my job and start here. I asked him. He didn't have to tell me. He told me the day. I'm not saying he's going to tell you perfectly everything, every moment, every time. But he will give us the guidance we need. I don't need a tarot card. I've got the one living God. And I'm invited into his presence. Perhaps it's because we don't know we can go into his presence. Perhaps it's because... No one's taught us, or maybe we just want something a little bit exciting and we're being enticed that way. But we have a living God. We don't have to hew out cisterns that don't have any life in them. There are the founts of living water that get to drink of and be free from all of that mess. There was one a story of one lady who said she was downloaded into by a spirit. She was, it was around New Year's Eve, you know, she was looking ahead to the new year, and all at once, all this information came to her as she was doing meditation, as she emptied out her mind of everything, as she allowed herself that vacant space, not seeking Jesus through his word, prayer, worship, things like this, but she was seeking something else, some other spirit, and she got something all right. She said, I was downloaded into. She was demon-possessed, she just didn't know what to call it. And the, and she said, and it showed me everything that was going to happen in the next year. I was going to move to Chicago, things that were going to happen with my business, all of these really exciting things. She was excited, telling all the people who followed her about it. Do you know what happened by the end of the year? They didn't come true. She moved to Chicago from where she was. A demon had led her astray, sold her a bill of goods. She opened herself up to it thinking she was going to get life and help. But instead she received torment. Torment. Oh, you thought I was going to show you this. But then she was so disappointed. When there's a living God. Who, man, I tell you what. He says if we need wisdom, we can go to him. He'll show us what to do. He'll lead our steps. There's also something now called manifesting. Control all your thoughts. All your emotions. And your goals to speak only positively. And to then believe into reality whatever you want. What they're saying is basically get enough mojo within your own body, the own power, whatever you want to try to put it on, spiritualize it to make yourself God and to manifest something into reality. The last time I checked, the only one who said let there be and it there was is the living God. Our living God. He's even the one who commands the light into the darkness of our hearts and says let there be light in us and adopts us into his family. We don't, we, it's not that we have less than these people out there who seem to have all this exciting spiritual stuff. I've got exciting spiritual stuff. His name is Jesus. He is Lord. He is King of all. And He is wonderful. And perhaps sometimes we do feel dry sometimes. But there's a living God that if we will draw near to, He will draw near to us. This lady in manifesting also said, use visual tools to keep you driven and focused. Buy a bigger purse. Visualize swimming in a pool of cash. Make a money tree of monopoly money until you can replace it with real money. Or write a large check to yourself knowing that one day you will indeed cash it. Y'all, this is on TV preachers. Buy this coin 
with Trump's name on it. And this is going to be the special token. And on one side, it's got Trump's face. And on the other side, it's got scriptures about Cyrus. Because, you know, Trump is like Cyrus and he's God given to us. And praise God for all leaders given to us because it's better than anarchy. Trust me, you might not like who's in office. But they're much better having a bad leader of any stripe side of the aisle than having pure anarchy where every person does what's right in their eyes. Trust that. Go look at Sudan. Go look at these other places that don't have strong government of any sort. And you will find absolute awfulness because man kills man. But this is what TV preachers do. They sell an ambulance. I'm going to give you this special oil. And if you buy my special oil, you just go apply it and it is going to do this for you. Now, look, we are called to lay hands on people. We are called to anoint with oil. But rose oil versus olive oil don't make much of a hill of beans a difference. What matters is that we obey what God has said to do. And he is the one who does it. I'm not against a gift of the spirit. I pray in tongues. He gives me words of knowledge. He gives me prophecy. He tells me what's going to happen before it happens. But I want the living truth. I want the living waters. I want what's real, what's holy, and what's good. It's life, y'all. It really is life. It really is life. There's no one like him. We need to beware. We need to beware the witchcraft and things like this that come in. And that is not what the whole message is about. But I did feel that was important to say. It just came alive to me. And, you know, people came in Ezra's day and they said, we want to worship with you. Not everyone who says, I want to worship God with you is actually sent by the Lord. Some have motives to distract. Some have motives to bring in themselves rather than the worship of God. But their hearts are not really with Jesus. So why was the presence of God fought against so hard by the enemy? Why would it matter? The, I mean, look, Putin wants something from Ukraine. He wants something, right? Otherwise, he wouldn't attack. People don't rob a house unless they know there's something in there or believe there's something in there of value to them, right? So why would Satan waste his time trying to stop the people of God from building the temple of God, the altar of God, establishing the worship of God to enter into the presence of God? Why would it matter? Psalm 67 says this. And oh, what a beautiful psalm it is. What a beautiful psalm it is. It says this. May God be gracious to us and bless us. Make his face to shine upon us. Selah. Just, just take a minute, rest on that, meditate on that. Why? So that your way may be known on earth. Your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the, let the nations be glad. Sink for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Selah. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Because the blessing of God upon the people of God was going to manifest. Not the bad way manifest, but to speak forth, display, broadcast, to shine out the glory of the one living God among all the nations. The queen of Sheba saw it. She was drawn and her breath was taken away. Naaman, the leper of and a general in Syria, he came because he heard from a little handmaid that was a slave. There is a God in Israel who can heal you. His glory went forth. People saw it. Even invading armies who were destroyed completely saw the glory of God when they touched the people of God. All of these people saw it. 
The worship of God was to flow out of Jerusalem and to the streets of Israel and touch and bless and heal all the nations around them until all people worshipped him. What does that sound like? The Great Commission, right? Matthew 28. And then it flows into Acts 1. Jesus said, preach here. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the ends of the earth. All the ends of the earth. That is why Satan does not want us to to enter into worship here in our cars, in our homes. Because if God is allowed to live in us, he already lives in us. But what I mean is to really have his will, to have his way, to more than just be saved, respond in obedience and hear his voice because we are his sheep and really walk in close communion with him. People around you would be changed. I'm not... Pastor Lee, who knows so many deep theological things about the presence of God and the hiding place. And I don't have to be, you know, praise God. I know what I know in my experience with the Lord. But in my own workplace, there were times where people came to me. Co-workers would ask for prayer. Why? Not because I'm good. Go ask my wife. I'm not good at all. I'm the worst. I'm a fool apart from Jesus. But they saw him. Somehow they saw him. They saw his presence somehow. And they came looking for healing. Looking for joy. Looking for hope. And if every single one of us will do that. This world will be changed. It applies to us today. Just as much as it applied to Ezra. There is a fight. And if you want to know why is there a fight. Why? Maybe he condemns you. You looked at this. You said this. You shouldn't go to church tonight. Oh, you're an idiot. And maybe cursing you, truly. I mean, for years, I remember I would hear cursings of the devil. Little did I know about the authority of God. I could have just told him, you go in Jesus' name. The Lord rebuke you and go to the word of God and worship him. I didn't know. And so all of this condemnation would come upon me. Keeping me from the presence of God. Keeping me from it. Does that sound familiar to you? Whether it's condemnation or whatever it is, the enemy will do whatever he can. Whatever he can, because you and I are now what? We are the temple of God. We are the temple of God. It is no longer that God lives in a temple that dwells upon the earth. He's no longer worshipped that way. But rather he lives in all of his people. Where the old people of the old covenant, they knew him and were in covenant with him. And had his presence in one place. Now he lives inside of me. How fearful. How crazy. How scary. But how awesome that is. We are the temple of the living God. Sacrifices should take place here. Worship should take place here. God should be sung to. Our hands should be lifted. He should be known and loved. And the as the one true God here in me individually. But it also says that we together are being built as the habitation of God. Why? Because as the body of Christ, as his living temple, he lives and moves and has his being now really, truly, fully in all of us. And we are going to show this world who he really is whenever we together, not just one, not just two, walk in faith into the presence of God and allow him to manifest himself to those around us. That is why they turned the world upside down. We are walking temples carrying that presence of God. Let's unashamedly praise Him. In our prayer guides, it says for individual revival that we would not be so proud that we don't open up our mouths and confess our love to Him. 
That we would not be so proud that we won't really love and worship him. Satan makes us afraid. He made Ezra afraid. You can't speak to others. You can't carry his presence. You don't have the Bible knowledge. You don't have the revelation. You don't know what the presence of God means. But it was to an illiterate and an uneducated people largely that the New Testament was spoken. And in Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. We're told in Ephesians, Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities, not just the earthly people that we're talking, every demon in hell, every demon upon this earth, probably more accurately said, every angel and whatever realm they live and move and have their being, that they might know what the eternal purpose that has been realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord, and whom we have boldness, access with confidence through our faith in him. Y'all, we're powerful not because of ourselves, but because of him and we don't even know it. We limit ourselves and maybe that's the greatest deception of all. Look God, they went to heaven. They even got 30 fold increase. They were faithful to you, but they never really believed you. We never really trusted you. Oh, they got 30, they got 60, but never even really 100. They didn't really believe you loved them. They didn't really believe you adopted them. They didn't really believe that you were a father, not like their earthly fathers that maybe were worthless sometimes. God, help us to really believe that he might do this. Because in Ezra's day and before it, like Romans 1, they did not honor the creator. Their hearts became dark. And in the place where the presence of God should have been, and the place where he should have been worshipped, they replaced it with something else. Their hearts were darkened. And like Pastor Lee has been saying, we as the church, and I know Romans 1 is primarily for the lost, but we as well can begin to not look upon, not to behold, not to glorify God the way he wants. And we can be kept from his presence and his worship due to idols being built in this temple. Formal traditionalism in worship. That's not how I do it. I don't lift my hands. Look, that's just not the way I do it. Look, that's between you and the Lord, but really... I, I was I was raised Southern Baptist, and let me tell you something right now. I love Southern Baptist people. I, I love them; they're wonderful. But I can't let my particular Southern Baptist church that I grew up in define who I am simply because I was there for so much time, or because you were Catholic, or because you were charismatic, or because of this defines what worship is. Lift up your hands, lift up your mouth. Let there be singing. Let there be joy. Let there be the high sounding symbol. Play that bass loud if you need to worship him let it be a cappella. let it be loud instruments let it be singing back and forth let it be everything that has breath praise the lord so if even if you say that's not the way i do it and you don't feel that liberty i'm not phil i'm not even my son ezra he dances and it's wonderful and maybe you're offended by it couldn't care less i wish i had his freedom i just know this it might be hard to control him sometimes now but he's seeing something and i don't want to put my hands on it my goodness if we would not allow the enemy to put fear in our hearts your wife's going to think you're stupid oh i feel these emotions i don't want to do that quit boxing ourselves in love the lord our gods god with all of our heart our soul our mind and our strength and everything that we do we could be busy with life and career goals seeking our own kingdom do you know what the idols represented 
I don't, we say, I don't bow down to an idol. I don't bow down to a wooden stone. But what did it represent to the people? Fertility, right? I'm going to be able to have babies, be protected in childbirth. It represented fruitful times of harvest. It meant that I was going to be taken care of economically. Maybe romance, something like this. We may not have the physical representation, but we can indeed, all of us, Put myself first. We could commit spiritual idolatry with no physical representation. It's true. It's true. Or maybe even our children, their schedule, their routine that we have got to keep that keeps us from the house and the presence of God. What I'm asking here is, what is it that keeps us there? What is it that keeps us from entering in? What is it the enemy can use? Children aren't bad. Money's not bad. Careers aren't bad. Goals are not bad. Sports are not bad. None of that is bad. But when it begins to consistently take me from that place of entering in, even watching about Ukraine nonstop can be bad. You can feel your peace being stolen, right? I started looking at it stuff so much and I was like, man, I need to, I need to look away because I began to actually feel a little anxiety because I knew what was going on for the believers there. And I was like, you know what? This response is going on in me. This is not of the Lord. It's good to keep up with it. It's good to pray, but this is doing something that's keeping me from the presence of God. It's stealing from my Bible time. It's war played out in time, but I can't let it keep me from him. We can keep our kids up a little later now to enter God's presence here, or we can be kept up by them later with ulcers, worrying about them when they're going to come home and what they're doing with the friends that we don't even like. And it's no guarantee that if we bring them here that they will necessarily, but my goodness, what chance do they have if we never do introduce them to the presence of God? around the people of God, and would to God that it would happen first in my home, that I would not be lazy, and that I would lead the way. But would to God that this would be built into our routine. They're going to stay up late one day, being silly, eating jelly beans with their friends, and we're going to let them have a sleepover, and actually eat popcorn and chocolate. Might as well let them stay up another hour and a half and come to church. They can get a nap later. They can make it up on the weekend. It's just going to cost us a little bit more as parents. And maybe that's what I don't like, is the inconvenience to my life. And maybe that's an idol. Maybe I'm keeping my family back because I want to feel comfortable in life. Man, I'm being cut. We all struggle with these things, but they must bow and stoop at the feet of our living God. We may never burn our children's lives or our own upon the altar of all of these things, but we might very well burn up our lives on the American dream, a goal, even a a ministry hope, or something else that is much less than God. We're made for more. We really are made and welcomed and invited into the presence of God. We, we are invited that Psalm 67 would be known in us and through us. And what a beautiful thing. There's joy there. His face, that his face would actually shine upon us. His literal presence shining on us. Not just providing for our needs, though that is a wonderful promise. But his person, himself, Jesus shining upon us that we would bask in his presence every moment we have. And what does that very next verse say? That your way may be known on the earth. And the the musicians can come up. The same temple Ezra and the leaders of Israel fought to build. Remember, they're fighting and the people are coming against them. It's the very same temple that Jesus was dedicated in. 
It's the very same temple that he threw tables over in. Because eventually, Satan moved another way, and the presence of God, people were kept from the presence of God. The Gentiles were kept from there. They began to monopolize and monetize the religion once again, and he threw over the tables. Maybe I need to let him turn over tables in my heart. Maybe I just need to let him run the devil off once and for all and not accept that. Really come here in faith and say, you know what, God? I was just even saying this. I don't, I don't know how to have your presence like I want to. I don't, because I have it in my mind that the presence of God is some faraway thing that I've never known. We know the presence of God. If we are his, we know what it is. Let's take that as a stepping stone to say, I have known your presence this much. I want to step into more fullness of it. I want to be more intimate with you. I want anything that might be crowding you out or keeping me back, whatever it is, to be moved. And so I want to invite us up, not to just wail and moan and say, oh, I've got idols in my heart. If we got to do that, praise God, let's just repent. Let's get it under the blood. Repentance and faith, even to salvation. Where does it end up at? Jesus. When we come into this altar, even if there's something wrong, that means we belong to him. That's not the end goal. The end goal of this altar is to get to who? Jesus. When we lift up our hands and we worship him, who are we talking to? Jesus. There is freedom and there is liberty in him. God, I pray you would be gracious to us. I pray your face would shine upon us. God, I pray if there's anything going to keep us from the conference this weekend, that you would help us to organize our schedule so that we can be here. God, thank you. You're just once again, you're just, I believe you're just pushing and you're saying whatever it is that is keeping you from, keeping us from you to just lay it down, to come in, especially the enemy, his lies, his half truths, even the facts of our failures that he brings to us. And we would just say, the Lord rebuke you. Lord, wash me and cleanse me. And that we can walk boldly to the throne of grace, into the very room where you are, into the heavenlies, oh God. You'd fill our heart with yourselves. We would know you and walk with you in the workplace, and the altar at church, and our families, whatever it looks like, that we would really believe you, that there is more of you to be known and loved. Be gracious to us. Bless us. Make your face shine upon us, God. Oh, Lord, let us know you. Let us come to you, not to receive a beating, but to receive a blessing, to receive you more and more, that the people around us, that our job, our family members, that we desperately want to know you, that just by abiding in you and loving you, they could know you, Lord Jesus. Let that be. Make your saving way known on the earth. Thank you, Jesus. And among all the nations, let us praise you, all the peoples. Oh God, let all the peoples praise you.